which amongst other things, Dina's gonna share a bit of, I guess, a testimony. Um, and um, yeah, to encourage us. Yes, yeah, so um, Harriet asked me if I would just share with you, because obviously as a church we're supporting local um, charities and, and, you know, in ways in, in which we can help them. And she just said, you know, would I come and um, just share a little bit about the uh, women's aid? Um, so basically, um, I've been uh, involved with the women's aid here in Bury for about five and a half years now. Um, kind of started when God said to me... Um, that time ago uh, I really wanted to do something in my community and what I could do and I was really asking God how he could use me and um, God clearly said to me what have you got in your hand you know like he did to Moses um, and and I kind of thought about that for a while and I thought what have I got in my hand what have I got in my hand it's like what have I got? What skills have I got? What can I do? And I thought, you know, obviously, I, you know, I have a hair salon. I'm, I'm a hairdresser, you know, and I thought, you know, it'd be lovely to get the, the women's aid ladies into the salon so that maybe I could, um, you know, kind of do their hair for them and get involved. So I obviously approached um, way back in 2017 um, and they were uh, thrilled to kind of have me sort of, you know, uh, Ask, ask them in, and um, it's been a really, really great time. And um, we've had many ladies into the salon, so I see them once a month um, at the salon every four weeks, and I do the hair for them. And the wonderful thing about it is being that, you know, God has, I guess, changed my view on what I thought it was going to be. You know, sometimes it's not what we think, but you know, God has a way of, of and I, you know, for me, it was all about well, I could do the hair, make them feel good, and pamper them. And actually, the sort of response, you know, I kept getting from the, from the ladies was that, um, you know, someone cares. Someone cares for me enough to do this for me. And that was, um, you know, really um, just a lovely thing to hear them say. And um, so I've continued doing that um, um, over the last five years. And um, God's been faithful and good. And uh, we've um, seen... Uh, a couple of ladies come to church here and come to faith, which has just been amazing um, through that kind of work there. So um, that's the kind of background. And I guess really what I wanted to challenge you with today was that, you know, what have you got in your hand? You know, we, we, we look in the Bible at the stuff that, that, that um, biblical uh, people had. You know, we, we think of a slingshot. You know, we think of pennies. Think of a coat. Um, bread. We think of fish. You know, what do you have in your hand? What, how can God use you, um, you know, in our community? Um, so Women's Aid is uh, basically a refuge for women fleeing, uh, obviously, uh, domestic violence and abuse, um, a place where they can rebuild their lives, a place where they can start uh, getting some independence back, a place where they are, are uh, counseled, and a place where they can learn to build healthy relationships. Um, they, most of them have come from very controlling relationships. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, if you want to have a chat with me about, you know, obviously some of the stuff that, you know, I've spoken to in the relationships I've built over the years with um, people, um, come and have a chat. If you want to find out a bit more about, you know, what goes on and um, how you could pray into um, that, then please come and have a chat with me. 
Um, so basically, Harriet said, how, as a church, can we help? So, um, you know, maybe on a financial level. Um, so um, I recently had a chat uh, with one of the managers because um, obviously it kind of changes from time to time. So currently, uh, we're in the summer and they like to take them out for days, you know, the women and children. Or, you know, they're, they're, they're women with often children. Um, there's about eight to ten families at our local uh, refuge. And um, they have a lovely relationship with a local farm where they like to take them regularly. So it may mean that it's an ice cream for, the, for, the, for them all, um, or maybe a bit of lunch. Um, Fuel now, as we know, is, you know, rising costs and, you know, all those sort of things uh, enable them to um, get out more and do some, just some stuff with the families there. So um, that's something that, you know, we can contribute to is uh, days out for them as families. Um, so treats. Um, and then obviously we've got uh, going back to school coming up as uh, quite a few children there at the moment. So uniforms, stationery, um, you know, those sort of things that, you know, we do as sort of parents and we get our kids kitted out and back to school and new shoes and trainers and PE kits and whatever. I mean, it's been a long time since I've done all that, but I'm trying to remember it all. It's probably changed a bit now, but, um, you know, it's... All this stuff has to come from somewhere, you know, and, you know, local charities, you know, like to support them, um, enable their kids, you know, to have, you know, nice school uniforms. They get a lot of donations. Um, and uh, when I spoke to the manager, she said, it's great. You know, we have, you know, piles of, you know, polo shirts and school trousers and things. But sometimes, you know, there's not the right size. And, you know, it's just nice to be able to go out to the local perhaps supermarket and buy up the right size trousers for that, for that child. So um, that's another way in which uh, we can contribute and help them. And also, they're always willing to take donations of clothes uh, from us as well. Um, they have an outreach center, so they run a, a freedom program weekly. And then after that freedom program, they have uh, all the donations of clothes that have come in. Um, so the women can help themselves. And then they also reach out to Berry too in the, any other women that uh, are also in uh, maybe difficult situations. They can come into that and they can also help themselves to, to clothes, toiletries, um, food. They also do food there too now. So, um, you know, they really are sort of trying to reach out themselves um, to other women that are exposed to abuse. So, currently they're lacking um, toiletries. So, shampoo, conditioners, shower gels, all those things go really, really quickly. Deodorants. Um, so, again, this is a way in, in which we can contribute financially to enable them to go and get um, these things that they need. So... Um, Yes, yeah, so that's currently um, the situation there. So, you know, any contributions you make, um, I know will go and will help them. And um, I hope that just gives you a little bit more uh, information on, on their needs at this time. And if you do want to, ha you know, have a chat or you want to know more, um, come find me and I'll be happy to share. Thank you. Thank you, Dina. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess on the, the money front, we're currently not 
doing cash. We, we are going to bring the offering back very soon. We're just trying to figure out the practicalities of that. But if you did want to give online, um, if you put a reference um, spotlight or refuge or something, that we'll make sure it goes to the right place. Um, Norman. Unless I've forgotten someone. Lord God, I thank you for Norman. Lord, I thank you for the way in which he loves your word. Lord, I thank you for the way in which he loves your church. And Lord, I do pray that you anoint him, Lord, of energy and joy as he brings this message. Lord, I pray you look after our hearts, Lord. Let us be receptive and open and um, let us leave a good deposit, Lord. And let us all leave this place, Lord, with uh, worship on our lips and our hearts turn to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sorry, I, I just turned it on. We're a very select crew this morning, but a very good-looking crew. Um, I just would like to say, uh, uh, well done, Andy. And they had uh, major problems this morning, I think, with the computer. Uh, Andy fought his way through. Well done. And uh, I think uh, that was also true of Paul. And uh, we've got a lot of people who've uh, suddenly gone down with COVID. Um, uh, Chris and Ruth were going to do children's worship, and they're not well. Fortunately, it's not causing so many problems in their lives, but that's why we're a bit thin this morning. Although some of you have been wanting to be thin for ages, haven't you? But not the same way. However, would you like to open your Bibles, please, into the book of Luke? And we're going to be in Luke 15 this morning, continuing our way through Luke. If you um, uh, haven't been with us for a while, that's where we've been taking most of our teaching from. And we're in Luke 15, a little passage um, which contains two things that you will already have heard of, uh, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. So, uh, I'm going to read from Luke 15 and I'm going to read from verse 1. Here we go then. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, says Jesus, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Very well-known little parables 
And uh, I've called what I'm doing this morning, uh, recovery of what is lost. Now, I did have a slide that was going to come up, but we won't be able to do that this morning. So you'll have to look, imagine some of the things that I'm going to talk about. But we have this. It's interesting. If you look at verse 1, it says, now tax collectors and sinners, they, they, they were just the, the guys who, every, the, 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 particularly the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, they looked down on these guys. You know, they were in league with the Romans and all that sort of stuff. And um, they're, they're of no consequence as far as the Pharisees and Sadducees are con- concerned. But as far as God's concerned, they're his target audience. And, um, and uh, they're all gathered around him, but also as are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I always think it's amazing in the way the scripture says, you know, the Pharisees or the Sadducees muttered something or thought something. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And it must have been a bit of a shock when it first started, you know, muttering to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, if they're in the church, we say, hooray! But, um, but Jesus knows what they're saying. And so he tells these two parables to address their murmuring and to try and explain something of his motivation. The motivation of God the Father who sent the Son in order that we could know new life. Isn't that worth just being excited about? And um, <clears throat> however, as he tells these stories, there's, the, there's the, the tax collectors and sinners who are nodding their heads. Because this par- these two parables aren't just for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I wish I could say that with my teeth in. Um, they're actually also addressed to these guys who are also his target audience. And they are rejoicing because here is one who is speaking to them. And speaking to them of the love of the God the Father. And that's going to be my target this morning. To speak about the love of God the Father. You see, the tax collectors and sinners, they recognize their need of the love of the Father in their hearts. And they saw in Jesus one who could speak with authority about this love. This wasn't theory coming out of Jesus' mouth. This was knowledge that was intimate and he was conveying it to them. The Pharisees and Sadducees, not exclusively because we're going to have a look at them generally in a minute, but not exclusively, but mostly they seem to have no idea at all about how much God loved people. And so they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's just have a look at these two parables. They're very simple parables. They're almost so simple, you can say, oh, I know them. But have you looked at them? Have you considered these two parables? One of them speaks about this, probably a farmer. He's got a hundred sheep, and suddenly, having counted them, There is one missing. Now, sheep are notorious at finding a way to get lost. They, they, it's just in their DNA. If they can, they will. If there's a hole in the fence, they will. Carol has been a a, a savior of many lambs in Horringer over the years because uh, there's a little field down Manor Lane where they all all congregate and eat their grass. uh, But there is this wire fence. And at the other side of the wire fence, there's what isn't in the field. So heads go through the wire fence, and then they're stuck there. And 
and my wife goes along and, and pulls them out and they say, thank you very much, go away and bar and then probably do it again tomorrow. That's what sheep are like. And so this farmer, he realizes one's missing. He doesn't say, well, 99 out of 100 is not bad. I've only lost 1%. You know, he doesn't say that. He, he is desperate to find this one sheep. Not only is this sheep his livelihood, but actually a good shepherd, as Jesus told us, loves his sheep. So it says he goes and he searches everywhere for this sheep. Every idea he's got where this sheep might be, wherever it is. And it says he finds it. And what does he do? It says he doesn't tell it off because it wouldn't do any good to talk to a sheep and say, you're a silly bar lamb. He puts it on his shoulders and he marches home with it rejoicing. Now, this is a picture of God the Father. And yet, it's a picture that tells us something about how God views population today. You know, you and I are very impressed when there's a revival somewhere. I've been reading a lot about revivals recently. Some of us have been reading a book called The Happiest People on Earth um, uh, about the Armenians and how they came out of Armenia and went to the uh, west coast of America and, 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 and how they just loved God because they were warned that uh, the Turks were about to come in and, uh, and destroy them. Worth reading. A book full of excitement and people hearing from God. And uh, often people think about revivals, you know, they hear Welsh revival or something, hundreds coming into the kingdom. Oh, that's wonderful. But what about one? Here's one sheep. Is God interested? God says, well, I, I prefer the revival really, but if there's not a revival going on, I'll, go, I'll settle for the one. No, he doesn't say that. Do you know, one matters to God as much as 99 or 100. And so as one comes to Christ and another comes to Christ, do you know, many come to Christ in their last moments, their last breath. And the, Jesus tells a parable to say, whether you come in early or come in late, it doesn't matter. If you get saved, you actually will enter heaven. God has a different perspective on things than we do because he loves people. And so this parable is homing in on the individual. But then the second one he says about this a woman who uh, has uh, lost uh, her coin. Now, this coin is worth, if you look at your notes of your Bible, probably about a week's wages. So it's, a, it's an important thing. She's lost it. And do you notice, I mean, I don't know what you're like when you lose things, but my wife will be um, smiling to herself because when I lose things, I like to involve everybody. Um, and uh, it says here, the woman lights a lamp, she sweeps the house and turns the place upside down until she finds her coin. You know, when your car keys have gone missing, where are they? Who had them? Did you drive it last? Did I drive them last? It, it becomes an urgency about what is lost. This is what this woman is like. She's lost a week's wages, but also she is desperate to find it. And so... This is almost a picture of revival because she is coming to find what's lost, but everybody else gets involved. The whole house is turned upside down because God loves the one and he loves the many. And Jesus is telling these parables and the, 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 the tax collectors and the sinners are going, yeah, that's you and me. I can, I can see them nudging each other. He's talking about us. 
The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they don't deserve to be saved. And what's more, when he associates, do you know, he even goes and eats with them. When he associates himself with them, he demeans himself. I wouldn't demean myself, said the Pharisees and Sadducees. I wouldn't get involved. Look, smelly people. God has a different perspective on people. He has a different perspective. He got hold of a young man who was constantly in trouble and spoke to him through his music teacher. And I'm the result. God cared about one. God cares about many. And God wants us to have the heart of the Father. Because these two pictures help us understand the way in which God the Father acts in order to find and restore what has got lost, sometimes by itself, sometimes through foolishness, and, or, or, or sometimes by carelessness. Maybe she was careless. Do you know, it, God doesn't say, well, you, 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 you got yourself in that mess and you, you know, what, what's the phrase? You made your bed and you can lie on it. God doesn't say that. I and you probably got ourselves in a terrible mess before we found God. And God didn't blame us. He said, will you come to me and repent? Will you realize how much you've missed the point? Because I love you. This is the God that I want you to have in your heart this morning. Because both these stories, did you notice something about these parables that I haven't mentioned? I mentioned the finding. I, I mentioned the urgency. I mentioned the searching. But when it's found, what happens? There's a celebration. Both have this amazing celebration. What was lost has been found. When we move on, not today, but to the parable um, you know, uh, uh, that comes on later of the prodigal son, that there's a, a whacking great big celebration. Do you know when you, if you gave your heart to Christ, there was a celebration in heaven. And every time you and I, we, we obey God and we follow his way, there's a celebration in heaven. For we are saying, I am free from what once held me. Once I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. I know it's not very British to get excited about these things. But you know, that's what Lizzie's been leading us in worship this morning. To celebrate. And I feel that now is a time... I'm, 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 I'm praying for revival. We've been meeting Wednesday mornings early to pray for revival. Do you know there's been something stirring in me since David asked us to, to get together and pray for that? Something saying, God, I, 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 I'm looking for, for more than I see around me. I'm looking for many of my friends who I talk to to know God in a powerful way. And I honor him because only he is able to do it. Only he has the power to save. And so in these two parables, we see there's an urgency which is prompted by love, which causes both the shepherd and this lady to search. Can I ask you, have you, have you lost the idea of searching, of asking, of wanting to know? Do you know, when, when you were little, well, I know I still am, but when you were little, you ask all sorts of questions. Sadly, many, and understandably, many mothers or fathers who are busy say, oh, don't keep asking me questions. But actually, and we've all done that. 
Bike checks are the worst thing you could do. What we need to do is answer our children's questions when they're asking them. There are thousands of children who, having one day got up and said to their, their well, do, you, do you know who God is? Or is there a God? Oh, don't worry about that nonsense. And it closes something down that actually God wants to bring to flower in their lives. I had one of my daughters, maybe have heard this story before, but Corrie, she, I, I used to play the piano, and I always, before I was going to preach, I was, you know, I sort of calmed my nerves, and I played the piano in the mornings. And I remember coming in to the dining room when I was playing the piano and said, Daddy, Daddy, am I a Christian? And I said to her, Corrie, only you and Jesus know the answer to that. You might think that was very cruel. She, she ran out again. But it was so tempting. She said, of course you are, darling. You're one of my children. But I didn't know for myself that she'd given her heart to Jesus. So the following week, I was playing the piano. And she came in and said, Daddy, Daddy, I must know, am I a Christian? And I think I told her a little. I said, only you and Jesus know. But I gave her a little bit more information. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you for the things you've done wrong. And she ran out again. And I carried on playing the piano. And then I went to church and preached. And the third week, it was three consecutive weeks, she ran in and said, Daddy, Daddy, I must know, am I a Christian? And I said the same thing to her and told her a little bit more. And she ran out in tears, and Carol was in the kitchen. And she said, Mommy, I want to give my life to Jesus, or something of those words. And you, you led her in prayer. And I remember that Sunday, we told the church what just happened, and we celebrated See, actually, we've got to answer the questions just a little bit that they're asking and, and, and let them search. But listen, as we become adults, we forget what it means to search. We forget the urgency that God wants us to grow in grace and the knowledge of God. And that's what this parable is about. The, the urgency, the searching is not by chance in this parable. And no wonder... No wonder the parable, see, I talked about Pharisees, didn't I? And you could write them all off. But there was one who came to Jesus by night, a guy called Nicodemus. He had noticed something. He was brought up in the traditions of the Pharisees. Law, keep the law, tick the boxes, do your, your best. But he noticed something about Jesus. There was something about this man that went beyond the law. There was something about this man, Jesus, that encompassed all the love that all his heart had been searching for. And it says, if you read in John 3, uh, where he goes to Jesus by night. He went by night because he didn't want his other pharisaical friends to, to see what he was doing. And he started to ask Jesus, you know, we know you're a good man, and what does it mean to be, be saved? I mean, you can read it yourself. And Jesus came out with this verse that we love to quote. But it was a verse that was given as an answer to an urgent question. God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that all that believe in him would not perish, but have eternal Life. That was the answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. And that word worked its way through his life with an urgent wanting and wanting and thirst that began to get into Nicodemus' life. So we understand that he 
as he watched Jesus doing all that he did, he actually gave his life to God as well. Because at the end of the, you know, when Jesus had been crucified, put in the tomb, he's one of the ones that's there. Listen, have you lost your thirst? Have you lost your urgency? I'm I'm not asking that question like blaming. I'm saying recently, as we've been praying for revival, I've been saying, hey, am I? Have I lost my thirst? Am I, am I as still as urgent about not just others, but my own life, knowing this love of God? And I'm going to lead you in a moment to see what, what, what was missing in the Pharisee's life. What was missing in the Pharisee's life? It wasn't law. It wasn't doing good. It wasn't being seen to do the right thing. None of that was missing. They did it all the time. They went to the temple and everybody had to see when they were praying. Now, what was missing in their lives? What was missing in their lives? Do you know? You're expecting me to tell you, aren't you? Tell your neighbor what you think was missing in their lives. Okay, let's have some answers. What do you think was missing in their lives? Love. Love of God. Mr. Last bit. And mercy. Love and mercy were missing. Did you, is that what you said to your neighbor? This was missing. It was missing. They had everything else. They had religion, but they didn't have love and mercy. So actually, they had nothing. Now, I, I, I wanted you to see, if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, and if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to, uh, verse four to 7, and I did have it ready to go up to the chart, but it, it doesn't matter. But... <clears throat> When you look through (coughs) 1 Corinthians 13, and we read it so often that we are so familiar with it that, um, you know, we we don't realize what it's saying. Bear in mind, it's, it's put between the words about how the Holy Spirit works, and then it's and then going on with the detail of how we operate in things of the Holy Spirit. And we have this um, 1 Corinthians 13, right bang in the center of those two. And uh, I won't, I'll read you from verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, if I'm only only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gave nothing. And then, now I want you to look at your Bibles in this. There's a list. I found this list very interesting. I'm going to read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, The reason I wanted to put it in a list, and I know you can't see this, is that if you write that list out, in sort of two columns. So I put love is on this side, which means on that side. Um, The first two that you get on this slide is love is patient and love is kind. What does kind mean? 
not kicking the cat or, I mean, what is kind? Giving your neighbor an extra bit of cake or something. I don't know. What it, actually, it's interesting. Then, if you look in your Bibles, having said what love is, it then starts suddenly jumping into what it's not. And I wonder whether it means love is patient, love is kind, which means, I put which means, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs, and it doesn't delight in evil. It's almost like suddenly it says, love is patient and kind. And if you want to know what it means to be kind, it's don't do these things. And then it, having got that off its chest, it then goes back to love rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I have found this list. That's why I've written it out like this. Such a challenge. I have been working my way through the which means list on this side. Which means it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight evil. It might seem very negative to you. But I've been saying, God, I want to grow in your love. And God, if these are the things that it's not, sometimes it's easier to know what something is by saying it's not. Is that right? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way my brain works. But I found that, that it's not that helps me to know what it is. And I've been working through it. And I've been saying, Holy Spirit, will you search my heart? Now, I'm not going to divulge everything God's been saying to me. But day by day, I've been finding it that God's been reminding me of something. Well, you said this. Well, you, 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 you did feel rather pleased with yourself about that. And I'm not just trying to be miserable. I'm just saying, I've been able to say, God, if this nation is to be revived, I believe na revived nations come from revived churches, and I ask you to revive me. Because if I'm not diligently searching every day to be found in the love of God, then something's missing. Now, I want to challenge you. Would you like to write, not now, would you like to write out the, the love of God in those two columns that I talked about and just ask God? It sort of does something to have them in the two columns. He tells you what it is, what it isn't, and what it is again. And then pray your way through. Say, God, I want to keep searching that I may actually be found in the love of God in everything I do. Does that make sense? See, it seems clear to me that the Pharisees knew nothing about the love of God. And I believe if there's going to be revival in this nation, as I've just said, I believe every revival I've read about, and I've read about quite a few, it's always started with revival in the church. And it started with God speaking lovingly to individuals like me and saying, can I just talk to you about this? Can I talk to you about your attitude there? You read any revival, you'll find, and God's not doing that to be, you know, uh, you know, like, you know, you've decorated your, your lounge and somebody comes in, you missed a bit there, you missed a bit there. It's not like that. What he's looking for is a people who will honestly and truthfully represent his love to others.
I believe that with all my heart. I believe, perhaps, maybe, you see, with Nicodemus, he's an interesting character. He, he, was, he, he was into pharisaical things, but he saw something in Jesus. He saw the love of the Father, and it made him ask questions. He got thirsty. What is this? I haven't had this. And so he searched. And in the end, he went to see Jesus, and he found. And this is what the scriptures are supposed to do. In fact, the moment we become saying, I know it. Oh, I know it all. Oh, I know all about that. We probably missed a lot. So it's a healthy, good thing to let God search you. It's what the psalmist says. Oh, you know, David said, search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be an evil way in me. It wasn't because he was on a down, oh, I must be, oh, I'm, I'm nothing, there's something wrong with me. No, it's because he wanted to be one who, who knew an increase, a daily increase of the love of God. I, I, I've got time just to, to whiz on a bit and, and show you what this love of God looks like. You might think, well, I've got the love of God. He's going on about it. How much more is there? Well, let me tell you how much more there is. See, can I just notice? I, I, I said to God when I was looking, I said, but what's the connection? I, I'm, I'm not quite making the connection. Now, because I'm about to tell you what I felt God said to me, you're going to say, oh, well, that's obvious, isn't it? And that's fine. But to me, it wasn't fine. I said, what's the connection? And I felt one day God said to me, you've missed it, haven't you? I said, yes, I have, Lord. I said, I haven't, I, 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 I want to grow in the love of God, and I, I'm looking at this list and all this, but I've missed, it. I've missed something, Lord. And then I've read this verse, which you know ever so well, Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it adds on all the other bits that go. So God said to me, it's a fruit. It's not something you could go to, you know, down the shops and, oh, I'd like, a, you know, uh, three pounds of love, please. You can't get it like that. It's a fruit that grows as we allow the Holy Spirit more and more access to our lives. So all of this is tied up with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and in a moment, I'm going to show you. Well, I'm, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. I, I, this is an exciting verse for me. Although various verses do tend to be rather exciting to me. But Ephesians... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. And Ephesians chapter 3 is 16 to 19. Um, again, uh, I, I was going to sort this out in different ways, but you need to just read it and understand what I'm saying. Let's read from verse 16 onwards. Oh, I see why I can't find it. I'm in Galatians. Well, I'm going to read from verse 14, actually, as it happens, to put it in context. This is Paul praying. He's praying for the Ephesian church that they might know more of this love of God. And then I'm going to read it from verse 14. For this reason, says Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom my every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, 
to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, there's, quite a th- there's a whole three sermons in that, but let's just break it down for a moment. I w- you're not going to give me three sermons, by the way. He talks about, first of all, we must be rooted and established in love. In other words, there is a desire in us to keep growing, to keep drawing uh, nutrients as we're growing. Not thinking, oh, I'm, I'm saved now, that's it. But that urgency to keep growing in God. And then he says, um, he says, um, being rooted and established in love may have power to give it to all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. See, I asked you, you know, what, 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 what can we say about love? Well, the Bible's telling us it's so big, it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so high, that actually you're going to have a lot of difficulty grasping it. But you can grasp a little bit, you'll be growing deeper. And then it goes on to say, and to know this love. It's not saying throw away your brain and don't think about it. It says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, the Pharisees thought, we've got knowledge. We've got it all tied up, thank you, with a lovely pink bow on the front. But actually, they didn't have the knowledge that God wanted them to have. They had their knowledge. We think, this is what we know. But they never said, God Can you help us to think the way you think? May we start thinking deeper. May we start thinking wider. May we start thinking higher. And it says that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. And look at this last bit. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You go down the pub and ask for a pint. They pour it in, and there's a mark on the rim that tells you when you've got a full measure of pint, whatever it is. Well, the Bible says there's a mark that will tell you <coughs> how much of the love of God you've got in you. But the mark is a bit higher than you thought. It says here, it, you'll be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. One day we're going to stand before him. And because you've given your life, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're going to say, hello, JP. What have you become? Hello, Ellie. It's been fun, isn't it? All those, all those times. All those. Yeah, he's going to say that. But I've been looking forward to the, the calendar. I had your date on here when you were coming. Because he does know, you know. And then, in a sense, we will see with our eyes and with our hearts and with everything the fullness of God. But now he wants us to at least attain and to grow and to thirst for this measure of Christ. In other words, read your Bibles, see how Jesus dealt with people. How did he deal with difficult people? How did he deal with people that were pushed at the sides of of society and not cared for? How did he do it? And then say, God, somehow or other, would you pour that love into me that I may grow to the full measure of the love of God? That's my prayer. 
That's the sort of things I've been praying since I've been reading through 1 Corinthians 13. I've been saying, God, I want to be, there's an urgency in me to know this love. It, so first of all, it's a love of God is a fruit of the Spirit. Next time I speak, which is in a fortnight's time, I think, I'm actually going to just talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, give you my testimony of what happens to me. But listen, there is, there is something urgent now for the church, the church in this nation, and an urgency to know the love of God and to pass that love on to others, not the love they think, not the love the world has, not the love they think they've got, but to see something that passes understanding. Because it passes our understanding. It's beyond anything we thought we could ever attain. It's a fruit that grows with understanding. In other words, don't throw your brain away. Think about these things. That's why, that's why I've got that 1 Corinthians all in that list. I've been trying to work it out. How can I think about this? And I've been saying, Holy Spirit, what do I do? And it, I just felt him say, put it into a list and it helped you. Use your understanding. Don't think, I've got it all, I know it all. And thirdly, it's a fruit, this love of God, that goes beyond human understanding and will fill us to the full measure of God's fullness. Well, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want that love that passes all measure. And actually, if you look into Ephesians 3, where we still are, in verse 20, if you think, well, that's a bit high, I don't know whether I can get that. Let me just read verse 22. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In other words, don't think, oh, I can't do this. No, of course you can't. Nor can I. He's at work in us. If he's putting a thirst in you, let him put it in there and respond. Be like little Corrie. Run out and say, Lord, have I got there yet? Lord, have I understood this yet? Lord, let there be an urgency. In fact, I would say, let there be an urgency about the urgency. And let the urgency of the urgency become urgent in our lives to know the love of God so that we're not like Pharisees, but we might be those that don't mutter and say, why does this man eat with sinners? But we say, God, may I eat with sinners? May the way I share my life reflect your love. When people are in distress, may the way I speak to them and ask them about their distress, may they feel the love of God. I would like you to stand with me and put your hands out to God. I'd like to remember, I just asked you if you would to do your homework on this and just look at this. Would you just point your hands out to God and I'm just going to pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we desire, or it is our desire, Lord, that we would grow in the love of God. That we'd be those that urgently search for more of you. Lord, in order that we might more perfectly reflect your love to others. Father, this week, even as we look at this list of 1 Corinthians 13, if there are any things in there, Lord, 
which you just want to put your finger on, we give you permission to do that. If you feel you've got permission, would you just say yes to God in that? Tell him that's right. And Lord, would you cause us to grow? And Lord, we thought we had it all sometimes. But Lord, this measure is so high and yet it's so possible because you're the one who's working within us. So Holy Spirit, I ask you, across this church and particularly those who aren't well today, there's many who aren't well, we pray, Father, would you as a whole church, would you just enfold us in your arms where we know being lifted up, oh God, as it were, and placed on your shoulders because you see that we are finding something, we were lost and now we've been found by your love. And we ask you, Lord, to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.